0: Hello and welcome to Tales from the Rabbit Hole. I'm your host Mick West. Uh, today I'm all alone because uh, normally I interview somebody who was down the rabbit hole, is down the rabbit hole, or knows somebody down the rabbit hole, the rabbit hole of conspiracy theories. But last weekend I went down a rabbit hole on my own. I visited a flat Earth conference. In fact, I was a featured speaker. In fact, I was actually the the headliner, in a way, at this Flat Earth Conference. The Flat Earth Conference was called the Exit the Matrix Expo, and it was in Las Vegas at the Plaza Hotel on May the, I think, 26th and 27th, the Saturday and the Sunday. The way it came about was kind of interesting. Uh, But before I get into that, the reason I'm not having someone on to interview this week is that I talked to a lot of people at this conference. And I didn't record them because I didn't want to intimidate people because people who believe in the flat earth and other conspiracy theories that are fairly extreme are often very suspicious of people who don't believe in those theories. So I talked to them and I tried to remember as best as I could what happened. And this is going to be, me, be my impressions of what happened at that conference and my explanation of what I did, how it came to pass, and what I learned from it. I also hope to follow up with a number of the people that I met, get them on the podcast, and uh, interview them. So it's good to have this baseline of what my perception is before I interview these other people, and hopefully they'll be in the next week or two, at least one. Okay, so the Flat Earth Expo, uh, called Exit the Matrix, and it was organized by ostensibly Mad Mike Hughes. I have this t-shirt here, Mad Mike Hughes. Mad Mike Hughes is a Las Vegas personality, I guess, who is famous for launching a rocket to try to see if the Earth is curved. Now, his first rocket was essentially just a publicity stunt. He only went up, uh, I think, like a 1,000 feet or less, like maybe 600 feet, and it was a steam-powered rocket. So obviously it wasn't going to go into space. But he's been a kind of a member of the Flat Earth community for a while, but kind of on the fringe, because people aren't really sure if he believes the Earth is flat. And I personally don't really think he really thinks it's flat, but he's obviously open to the idea. Uh, Because of this kind of equivocation, he uh, is a bit on the outside of the Flat Earth community. And I think he was a bit annoyed at getting less attention from other Flat Earth people when he announced his second rocket launch, which is supposed to take him to the edge of space. And so he decided to organize his own conference. And he's teamed up with a guy who has helped him before, who goes by a number of names, one of which is Infinite Plane Society. It's probably most well-known for his his, uh, YouTube channel, uh, where he broadcasts these long conversations that he has with people about... uh, Ooh, I guess you would call them false flags or fake fake events. He, he thinks everything is fake, basically, or he assumes everything is fake until proven otherwise. So if something happens, like someone gets shot, he will assume that that, that shooting has been faked. So Infinite Plane Society and Mad Mike are setting up this conference. Now, it really seems to be mostly organized by Infinite Plane Society, who goes by a number of names, uh, one of which is Tim Osman which is the guy I interviewed like a week or so ago. And Tim Osman is the name supposedly of the CIA agent who was pretending to be Osama bin Laden. It's part of the grander conspiracy theory. So using the name Tim Osman is kind of a signaling device to show that you're being ironic uh, about uh, about reality, I guess, and that you think that everything is fake, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so... Uh, Tim Osman, IPS, and uh, Mad Mike Hughes are setting up this conference. And what happened was, IPS contacted me via email and asked if I would like to be on his show, his essentially his podcast, his uh, YouTube uh, channel, to talk about chemtrails because he doesn't think that chemtrails are real, which is, you know, kind of odd. If you think people believe that the Earth is flat, then why not believe in other theories like chemtrails? But One of the things I learned over the weekend was that quite a few people don't actually think that chemtrails are are real, and yet they still think that the Earth is flat, which is rather strange. So I agreed to go on IPS's show, and I talked about chemtrails for a while, and then after that, he asked if I would like to uh, give a speech at the Flat Earth Conference. And I said, uh, sure, yeah, if you pay for my airfare and my hotel. And he agreed to that. And then he said, would I like to debate? And I said, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be fine. I didn't know who I was debating at the time, but you know, I'm I'm always up for a a discussion, a, a debate. Uh, and he told me later it would be this guy Nathan Thompson, who is a guy who runs a very popular flat Earth group on Facebook. Nathan Thompson is kind of a biblical flat Earther in a way. He uses some biblical explanations, but he also likes to throw out lots and lots of uh, scientific sounding explanations. Which generally aren't very good, but he's got long a long list of them, so it's actually you know kind of get, gets hard to address because there's so many of them. But uh, I did address as I shall I should I should discuss that later. So I agreed to this. Uh, I was very suspicious, of course, because you know a bunch of people who believe in the flat Earth are inviting me to Las Vegas for some conference that no one's ever heard of. You know, there was no publicity or anything at the time, and uh, my my suspicions were. Removed somewhat when he actually sent me some money to cover my airfare. I told him how much the airfare would be. He sent me money. I booked the flight. Uh, he uh, sent me some more money uh, to cover the cost of the hotel. And he, he booked the hotel for me. So that was all fine. You know, I'm not going to be out of pocket. It would be an interesting interesting three days, uh, two or three days in, in Vegas. Uh, so yeah, you know, that's how it all came about. As the day got closer, as the time got closer, there really wasn't very much publicity about this this latter conference, and I was kind of surprised at this because you know he's already spent a thousand bucks on me for my hotel room and my flight, and yet they didn't really seem to be publicizing at all, which was strange, and you know I was vaguely suspicious about what was going on. But you know, obviously, if they they spent the money to get me over there, it it. Uh, Seemed legit Then eventually there was some publicity, but it was all all always in just fairly obscure corners and flat-earth groups and in uh, uh, IPS's Tim Osmond's site and so you know, it was a bit a Bit odd that there really wasn't more publicity. So I wasn't really expecting very many people to be there and As it happens that you know that played out, but that's jumping ahead so uh, I flew out there on the Friday and I uh, took my infrared camera with me, my Nikon P900, which has been converted to infrared, and I used that to take a bunch of photographs out of the window, try to detect the curve of the Earth, but it was too cloudy, unfortunately, for me to uh, get any good photos. But that's uh, the type of thing I like to do when I'm on a plane. When I arrived, I checked into the hotel, and there was a bit of confusion because it was a different name on the reservation. And uh, obviously, I didn't actually know what the real name or. Of IPS is. What is Tim Osman's real name? You know, he goes by a whole bunch of different names. Uh, I didn't know what was real, I didn't know what to do. And so there was some, it took me about 15 minutes to actually check in whilst they tried to track down who this guy actually was, whose name was on the reservation and whose credit card it was. And actually, we got in touch with him. I think he was driving at the time and then it was all confirmed and it was all sorted out. So, you know, that wasn't a problem. It was just a confusion over names and him using uh, an alias with me, I guess, and probably his real name with the hotel because he had to use his credit card. Uh, so I checked in, and then I went to get something to eat, and I met Mad Mike Hughes. Mad Mike is the rocket rocket um, guy who's trying to get to the edge of space in a rocket. He is uh, 63 years old. He said this a few times, and he's a smaller guy, which is pretty handy for fitting into uh, Small rockets, and he seemed very nice, very pleasant, very polite and He talked about how he appreciated me being there and how he thought it would be good to have polite discourse and He said he thought this would be the last flat Earth debate that was ever needed, which I thought was something of an overreach because obviously there 's been lots of flat Earth debates. yeah, I am nothing special here, so uh, i i didn 't really think that was uh, an at- accurate characterization. He was there with another guy called Mike, also called Mike, from uh, an organization, which is basically him, called Exploring Again, which is about him trying to explore Antarctica. And I'll get into that a little bit later. So that's pretty much all that happened on the Friday. Next day, Saturday, was the day that I was set to give a talk and various other people, including Nathan. Nathan Thompson, my uh, debate opponent, was also set to give a talk. So in the morning I made my way down to the conference hall which is way in the back down this long empty corridor and it was in this reasonable size room. It had I think be about 160 seats in it. Uh, There was nobody there when I arrived which was about I guess quarter to nine or maybe 8.30. I was thinking I'll get there early because it was going to start at nine as it happened, it didn't really start until 10, uh, and there really weren't very many people there. So I talked to the people who were there, people who were setting up in the, uh, the outside room where there were some tables. Uh, the first guy I talked to, I met in the elevator on the way down. I got in, he got in after me, and there's this kind of wild bearded guy, looks a bit like Rasputin, might look. And he looked at me and went, Mick West. And I went, yeah? And he was I can help you. And I was like, oh, oh, okay, uh, Brother Ernest, because I recognized him, he was a guy called Brother Ernest, a kind of religious guy who believed the Earth is actually concave, like we live on the inside of the Earth. And he said, yes, talk to me later. I can help you with Nathan. Which uh, <laughs> was a bit odd at the time, but it turned out that Brother Ernest was actually a very nice guy, and he just wanted to give me a few pointers later about my debate with Nathan uh because i you know i didn't know anybody at this point i was a little bit nervous and it seemed a bit uh a bit strange but it wasn't it wasn't it was all fine i got into the hall and no one was there uh in the audience yet and the first person i talked to was dave gordon who is one of the sponsors of this expo he is a guy who has invented a camping stove of a sort uh, which uses a kind of a drafting technique to draw air up through a chimney and it less, gives less smoke and more even heating. And he has a patent and he was selling this. What this has to do with flat earth, I have no idea. However, I think he is a flat earther and he wanted to go to the conference and he saw the opportunity to try to, to, try to promote his business, which is selling these stoves. And so uh, so he said, he sponsored the conference to a degree. I don't know to what degree. And he was showing off his little camping stove, which was you know, it was a nice little stove. Obviously, it worked. But uh, I don't know. Nothing to do with Flat Earth. The next person I talked to did have a lot to do with Flat Earth. His name was Chris uh, Pontius. Chris Pontius. He is a model maker. and He makes these lovely little models and some quite large models of the Flat Earth, a Flat Earth map. And he has a round, flat Earth disc with a map on it. And it has a dome over it, a plastic dome. And it has stars on it, and some of them have little suns and moons that go around on uh, like clock handles. Quite pretty things. He also was selling organite, which is kind of these pretty paperweight type things, which are made from various types of metal and crystals embedded in. Uh, a type of acrylic, clear acrylic. So you know, type of thing you sometimes kids do is they make paper, paperweights out of acrylic and pouring stuff in, but these are very pretty ones and they're supposed to have a very specific uh, way of gathering energy, orgone energy from the atmosphere. And he also has some that was a combination of two. It was an orgone base with a flat earth map on top and he said that there was something, you know, there was some kind of organite field that helped something. I'm not sure exactly what. Anyway, he was a nice guy. In fact, you know, most people there were nice, nice people, guys and women. Uh, The next person I talked to, let's see, was Russ. Uh, Russ, I don't remember his full name. I can put that in the notes. But Russ ran something, I think it's called the Flat Earth Media Group, and he's trying to set up all kinds of like, competitors to YouTube for people to put their Flat Earth videos on and doing Flat Earth radio shows and uh, resources for Flat Earth um, photos and things like that. He seemed quite nice, uh, although at some point he started talking about how terrible it was in Europe with all the immigrants coming in. Which to me sounded a little bit maybe hmm, like he didn't like Muslims. Uh, you know, I'm sure he would just say, you know, he didn't like the changing culture or it wasn't being done right or there's all these problems with radicalization. And I talked a bit about my upbringing uh, near Bradford, which has a big Muslim population you know, back in the 70s and how there wasn't really. Uh, yeah, any more problems than you would expect from various diverse cultures uh, blending together, but uh, yeah, he he was very polite. Okay, and so then the conference got started. I think around ten or eleven, and Russ started it off, and there was another woman there called Shelley who runs some kind of flat Earth radio. Uh, I think it's called Down the Rabbit Hole, which is kind of interesting because I have a book called Escaping the Rabbit Hole, and of course this podcast is called Tales from the Rabbit Hole. So I was very much in the rabbit hole at that moment. And Russ and Shelley basically kind of interviewed each other at that point. There was some other talks from some of the other people there. Chris Pontius got up and gave a short talk, but he wasn't really into talking. And then there was a much longer talk from Mad Mike Hughes, the rocket uh, man, and... His rocket scientist, who's the guy who actually builds the rockets for him now the rocket scientist is called Waldo uh, Waldo something again yeah sorry I space out on these uh, second names. Waldo doesn't really seem to think that the earth is flat and you know he mentioned several times things like going to the moon and rockets going into space uh, so he he didn't really seem like he he fit in, but you know he, he kept trying to say. Things like, when we went to the moon, if we actually did. But he—he could tell he really actually thought we went to the moon, or at least assumed that was true. Uh, He gave a kind of a presentation basically explaining some things about the rockets that Mike was going to use. And it was all a bit chaotic because he didn't use the microphone and then his wife got up there and she was holding the microphone in his face and he was, he was trying to give a slideshow but all he had was his little laptop and so he was pointing at things on his laptop but people were sat at the back of the room so they couldn't see or hear because he wasn't using the microphone. Uh, but, you know, you've got the general idea that he's building a rocket and he's done a bunch of fun tests out in the desert and that he plans to, to take Mike into space. My talk was basically... Hmm, Try to get people to look at the flat Earth problem in different ways. You know, people often give these different different lists of proofs. You know, this is a proof of this, proof of that. But I try to get people to look at uh, the way there are different models, different models of the world, and you need to understand which model you're you're using, whether it's a simplification or a more accurate model or a you know more a super accurate complex model. And I gave examples like gravity you know, gravity can be looked at in three ways. It can be just a force that goes straight down towards the ground, or it can be a force between two objects like uh, you know, two planets or a planet and you, which means it goes towards the center of the earth. Or it can be this, uh, Einstein's, uh, bending of space time, you know, special relativity, general relativity. And, uh, you know, you've got to understand which model you're using. So I-, I gave this long talk and I gave a bunch of examples and I gave, uh, A few examples of experiments that I thought that were not answered by the Flat Earth model. I gave a long spiel about how latitude and longitude don't actually work. You know, Australia on the Flat Earth map gets really stretched out. And if you try to compress it uh, so it works better, then the latitude and longitude lines don't line up. So I gave all these things. Some of these things I, I I would have expected them to be familiar with. But it seemed like a lot of the time the things I was saying weren't really getting across. I tried to explain one thing where you could see one mountain was below another when you'd expect it to be above the other, and yeah, I don't really think that went that got across to people in the audience. You know, I talked to people afterwards, and no one even kind of brought it up. And they basically just kind of ignored a lot of a lot of my points and stayed with their own points. Now, just before this talk, I met Nathan Thompson, who is my debate opponent, who was going to give a talk after me. And I gave him a crystal, uh, a, little, a prism, a prism, a little you know, triangular prism, the type you use to split light into a rainbow. And I gave it to him, and I told him that you can use it to verify whether light is being bent or up by uh, wh- what colours you see on the edge of things. I told him it was to do with the green flash. I didn't really have much time to get into details with him, but I gave it to him. And then in my talk, I got the crystal out got the prism out, and I used it to demonstrate this effect. The reason I did this was Nathan has a proof of the flat Earth where he looks at the setting sun, and he, he sees that at the top of the setting sun, there's sometimes a little green flash. This is quite a famous type thing. You can look it up, green flash, setting sun. And he, he rationalized that because green light is bent down more Than red light, this meant that the sun was actually higher than it appears, meaning it was actually above the horizon. Now, when he made this argument, which is made several times before, uh, when he made the argument, I saw it on the video, I recognized he got it backwards. Uh, In fact, when something is bent down, when light is bent down, it raises up the image. So the more the light is bent, the higher the image is raised. And so you get this little green flash above the image which means the light is being bent down, which means the image is being raised up, which means that the sun is actually below the horizon. So what he had put out as a proof of the flat Earth was actually, if you use his reasoning, a, a proof of the globe Earth. And I thought this was a very interesting thing to show to him. And I didn't want to just entirely you know, jump, uh, surprise him with this. So before my speech, I gave him the prism and uh, briefly told him what it was about. Then in my speech, I got it out, and I actually kind of tried to demonstrate it. You can't really demonstrate it because you actually have to look through it, but I showed how to do it. I held up the prism. I held up a glowing ping pong ball light uh, that I used to simulate the sun, and I, I explained, you know, hold it like this, and you will see that it's green on the top, which means that the sun is below the horizon, which means that the Earth is a globe. doesn't matter if you don't follow this this act, the logic of this argument, because most people there didn't either. Just, you know, it is an argument. It is actually a valid argument. And uh, so at the end of my speech, Nathan gave up to, got up to give his speech, his presentation. And he gave his presentation. And he gave, basically he reiterated a lot of the usual points that he made. And I made loads and loads of notes about what all these points were so I could bring them up again in the debate the next day. And one of uh, right at the end, he got an audience member to come up and uh, look through the prism. But he held it upside down, which meant the light was being bent up. And so the, the woman said, oh, it's red on top this time, which, which it would be because he's doing it upside down. And uh, <laughs> I, I I tried to explain this to him afterwards. But yeah, <clears throat> it became clearer the next day. I'll get into this more later. So we gave our speeches. And then uh, there were some other people giving speeches afterwards. You know, say speeches, but it's really a presentation. And then I I went outside. I think uh, maybe it was like the the rocket stove guy was giving a talk, which I wasn't really that interested, Or somebody was giving a talk, which wasn't that interesting. I went outside and I talked to some other people outside. I had a really long and very productive conversation with a guy called Joe. Joe uh, just basically said hi to me in the hallway outside the conference. And, uh, you know, I just asked him what he was doing there and why he thinks the Earth is flat. And he just, you know, basically we started discussing various things. And he would say things like, you know, you can see across a lake. You can see a laser across a lake. Uh, And I explained to him why that is. Because there's refraction over the surface of water. Because water is cool and cool air bends light down. It bends the light around the Lake you can see across the lake, and I told him you really need to get higher and I showed him some pictures of mountains where uh, you've got a ten thousand foot high mountain and nine thousand five hundred feet of it is behind the curve, which is a very, very difficult thing to explain in the flat Earth model now of course, they'll say things like its uh perspective or its atmospheric refraction, but it doesn't really work and in fact, in my talk, I devoted quite a large section of my talk. To explaining refraction, no, explaining perspective, explaining how perspective works, people think of perspective in terms of what you learn in art class with vanishing points and uh, things getting smaller in like regular intervals as they go down the road. So you can draw lines on the, along the tops of things like light posts, and you get these vanishing points at the end of the road on the horizon. But that's actually really a simplification, and that's partly t- part to do with what I was talking about with these simple models versus complex models. Uh, perspective is actually uh, that things get smaller inversely proportional to their distance. So if something's twice as far away, it's half the size. Something's five times away, it's one fifth the size. And it's slightly more complicated than that, really, but that's the basics of it. And that's actually the the better model to use. The the perspective thing is just tricks for artists. And so if you actually use the real model of perspective, and I showed I showed some interesting diagrams of perspective machines that we used back in the 1500s by artists to do perspective drawings of things. And they used lines of sight uh, intersecting with an image plane that they then used to record the positions of things. It's fascinating stuff. You can look up perspective machines if you're interested. And I explained how this was essentially the same as a camera, and it's the same as 3D graphics and computers, and it's the same as the human eye. It's all the same. It's all to do with lines of sight. So if there's a line of sight between your eye or your camera and an object, then you can see it. So you've got these mountains that, if it was a flat Earth, you would have a line of sight between you and the bottom of the mountain, and the middle of the mountain, and the top of the mountain, and yet you can only see the the very peak of it, just uh, peaking over the the horizon, just like a few hundred feet, when it's a several thousand foot high mountain. Uh, so it's a very difficult thing for them to explain, and I was kind of getting into a lot of detail with this with Joe, and we had a good conversation, and I think. He, you know, he, I gave him something to think about. He bought me a beer and I gave him a copy of my book and uh, we parted as friends and hopefully hopefully, he'll see this and maybe, hey Joe, if you're out there get in touch with me, maybe you'd like to be on my podcast. Uh, I talked to a few other people, There's a variety of people there. One guy kept asking me why we can't see photographs of upside down buildings which is an interesting question because it's not it's not really a sensible question. It kind of sounds like a sensible question, but in space, it doesn't. there's no really up and down. If you look at pictures of buildings in Australia, that's and they're upside down, that's just because someone's turned the camera so the horizon is at the top of the image rather than the horizon being at the bottom of the image. It just depends on which way you orient your camera. And I was trying to explain this to him, but you know, it wasn't really getting across. And he kept asking about, why aren't there pictures from space of upside-down buildings? And, you know, really the answer is that when people take photos of things from space, they turn the camera so that up is going into space and down is going down to the ground. And I tried to explain this to him, and I showed him a few pictures uh, taken from the space station, but I don't think he was convinced. He seemed he seems to be a fan of the Infinite Plane Society and the everything-is-fake model, and I think he was he was very... Mm, very caught up in this particular piece of evidence of his. I think I've seen him post online, and he's constantly posting these uh, pictures of a, a ship upside down on the bottom of the Earth, and saying, look how silly this is. This ship would fall off the Earth. Which, of course, you know, is using the wrong model of gravity. It's using the gravity always goes down towards the bottom of the picture model. Uh, when of course, gravity actually goes towards the center of the Earth, and in which case, the ship being upside down works just fine. So, talked to him for a while. Talked to another guy called Nathan Gonzalez. I had several com- conversations with Nathan. He was a very interesting guy. He has done a lot of experiments, which is great, you know, it's great to do experiments, but they're all kind of experiments where you go up to a body of water like the salt and sea and you shine a light across it, either a laser or he used reflected sunlight, which is which is a very good thing. It's like kind of like a laser beam in a way. It's just very Broad beam, I'm not broad. It's a broader, but still narrow beam of light, which you can flash across a lake. And you have these observations where you have the light source that's fairly low down, you have the camera that's fairly low down, both around say three to six feet, and you have them separated by ten miles of water. And you know they, they should, if there was no atmosphere, you wouldn't be able to see one from the other. And you can see a flash of light from one side. So, uh, the reason you can see it is again because of refraction. And uh, refraction is at its strongest just over the water. Because water is generally colder than air, it cools the air down above it, and that makes the air denser, makes it sink, and makes it denser. And light gets bent towards this denser air very, very slightly, but over 10 miles it's quite significant. 10 miles, you know, a few feet in 10 miles is a very, 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 very slight curve, but it's enough to raise something up above the curve of the earth and make it visible. And I explained this to him and he was saying, he didn't think there was enough refraction and it didn't really uh, uh, explain what he was seeing. I showed him the picture of the mountain where you've got 10,000 feet missing and 9,500 feet missing, whatever. And then he said, Oh, well, that's just uh, refraction. <laughs> oh, he said, that's perspective and refraction. So that's a bit odd. He doesn't admit that you could, you know, refraction could raise something up a few feet around the curve. But he is fine. I don't remember if he said it, refraction exactly or if there's more perspective. He's fine with nine thousand five hundred feet being hidden by refraction. So it's kind of a little cognitive disconnect there. And I tried to explain things to him, but he he kind of rejected my explanations. And I think I think it's really that he genuinely. Didn't understand my explanations, which obviously is partly because I'm not doing a very good job explaining it. And I don't really have the visual aids and I don't have the uh, the time to go through in detail and build up things like this is how cameras work. This is how your this is how vision works. I think he missed that section of my talk. So he wasn't understanding what I was saying about how perspective couldn't do this. Uh And Nathan, if you're watching, I apologize if I misrepresent you. I might be conflating some of your positions with uh, other people that I talk to. I talk to so many people. But uh, he said basically that there was an explanation for why all these thousands of feet of mountain was missing. But my explanation of refraction didn't make sense for his observations of a few feet uh, being not missing in terms of being able to see the light. The whole light thing with lasers going over water is uh complicated and i made a video i think it's called uh, laser tests are misleading you can look that up on 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 my youtube channel so uh let's see that's pretty much it for that day and i kind of went off and did my own thing for the evening uh people weren't really that interested in socializing with me it seemed (laughs) but i you know i talked to a lot of people actually at the The conference room, but after that, I never saw anybody. They were, you know, it was in a hotel, but it was in a casino with like several thousand people. And so I I just never saw anybody outside of the actual uh, conference room. Next day, next day was Sunday, the big day, the debate. And this was kind of what the whole conference was promoted as being this ultimate flat earth debate between Nathan Thompson and Mick West famous flat-earther and flat-earther debunker. Uh, In the morning, though, uh, the debate was set for 3.30 in the afternoon. In the morning, there was a few more speeches. Mike got up again in the morning. He was the first speaker, Mad Mike, and he gave a long talk on the state of the flat-earth community, which is basically him uh, complaining that people weren't taking him seriously, that Uh, the other people in the Flat Earth community was for some reason blowing him off and that he didn't get invited to the conference, the other conference in Dallas. And so he kind of set up this conference kind of as a response to that. And he went on about this at some length. He also shared a few theories he had, uh, which are kind of similar to the sovereign citizen movement, although he doesn't like that term but it's things like uh, legalistic, pseudo-legal type things where uh, you do things like use your name in all lowercase or all uppercase or you don't capitalize it, and it has a different legal meaning. And he said he had uh, registered the usage of names like Mark Zuckerberg and Bill Gates, uh, various famous people, so they, they shouldn't legally be able to use it. It's you know, stuff that really doesn't make sense from a practical legal point of view. It's, you know, I think he has an argument as to why this is true, but when you actually go to court, obviously the judge is going to say, well, you know, Mark Zuckerberg is just fine using his name, so stop bothering us. And then he gave a little bit of a talk about going into space and how he thought it. you, know, you really need – people don't trust – what other people tell them so they have to see for their own eyes or see via someone who they trust so he's going to go up look at see the curve of the earth come back and tell us and he'll have cameras showing what everybody else is seeing then his his rocket guy his rocket scientist guy waldo got up waldo strakes i think his name is check the check the show notes i'll uh, put it in there he got up and gave a long detailed explanation of how the rocket was going to work. And it's basically just, you know, a, uh, a liquid fuel rocket, I believe. Uh, yeah, I think it's liquid fuel. And he's in a little capsule in the end. And there's a balloon. And the balloon takes him up part way. Then the rocket goes up the rest of the way. It looked very dangerous. I think, yeah, Mike, Mad Mike, if he actually does this, uh, stands a good chance of dying. If he does it, because it's a very, very dangerous looking thing. He's got an amateur rocket maker building a rocket. Yeah, I'm sure Waldo has a very high opinion of his own uh, abilities, and he did actually get a rocket to go several hundred feet up in the air. But you know, he's talking about sending a rocket up in, above breathable atmosphere into a position where it would take several minutes to fall back down. So it's got to not explode, it's got to not leak, it's got to go up and not fly down into the ground. Uh, it's got got his oxygen supply has got to work his heating has to work as it's pretty cold up there uh, everything has to go to plan and then the parachute has to work coming back down again he gave uh, an amusing anecdotes uh, with a previous rocket where he said when the parachute opened it was going at, I think, 300 miles an hour, and the parachute was only rated for 100 miles an hour. So the, it was three times over the, ra- the rating, and they, they gave a good laugh about that. But obviously, if it hadn't worked, Mad Mike would have died. So it all seems a bit a bit dangerous. And again, this Waldo guy doesn't really seem to think the Earth is flat. Then there was a talk by Shelley. Shelley was the lady who uh, opened the conference with Russ the previous day. And she runs this flat earth radio thing, a rabbit hole down the rabbit hole. She gave a talk about the forest fires in California, and specifically the camp fire, uh, which destroyed the town of Paradise, quite close to where I live. I'm just about 80 miles from there as the crow flies. Uh, So it's something I've been very interested in. And I was fascinated to hear her talk on the topic because I've given talks, a talk on the topic to a sceptical organization and I've written many, many articles about it, and I've talked about it in various other people's podcasts, so I, I knew a lot about it. And she basically just went over the usual kind of conspiracy points like why why is the house burnt but a tree next to it hasn't burnt? Why is the glass melted in this car if you know cars if the melting temperature of glass is higher than the burning temperature of uh, of a fire? Uh, why are these wheels melted? And uh, you know things like that. Just why aren't the why aren't the garbage cans that are in the road all melted when a, a house nearby has uh, fallen down? I tried to get not to get too distracted by this because I was going to give my talk later, and so I didn't want to get distracted. But I did ask her one question because she kept pointing to the glass in the car melting, and she said uh, glass melts at 2700 degrees or something, and fires burn at uh, like, you know, 11 or 1200 degrees. And I, I looked it up while she was there, and I asked her a question, I said, uh, well two things, uh, glass doesn't melt in a microwave, because she was saying that it there was a microwave, uh, microwaves from space basically, because they were affecting metal more than plastic. Glass doesn't melt in a microwave, and the softening point of glass, at so which it sags, is 1100 degrees. <clears throat> and she kind of just blew that point off, but you know, really it, was, it took a good chunk of her evidence away because she was showing all these windscreens that are basically slumped and shattered, and they weren't melted, they're just kind of slumped down and they've folded over what was below them. And generally, windscreens usually shatter because of thermal expansion. Uh, but, you know, I told her this and uh, she just kind of moved on to other things and didn't really answer it. Just kind of ignored the point. So, All right. So let's see. Uh, that day, other people gave talks. Uh, Brother Ernest gave a talk about how the Earth was a uh, kind of a ball which were on the inside of. I missed that one. Dave Gordon gave an explanation of his rocket stove, I think, and then talked about something called the Medicine Man. Didn't really uh, see that one. And a very interesting talk was Mike from Exploring Again. He has this scheme where he wants to go to the South Pole. He wants to fly to the South Pole and then ski south from it using a, uh, a ski sail where you get this big sail like in kind a of paragliding type thing where you have the wind pull you along whilst you stand on skis. This was all very odd for a number of reasons. Uh, First of all, they don't really think that the South Pole exists. And, uh, you know, I I think he was kind of giving the standard explanation there that the South Pole is a big ring around the Flat Earth. And so anywhere on the ring on the outside is the South Pole. But he was also of the opinion that you can take a flight to the South Pole. Which doesn't really make any sense because everybody else thinks that the South Pole is off limits because of the Antarctic theory, uh, Treaty and that you're not allowed to go there. And he gets very angry when people bring this up and start saying, you yeah, know, that's not true. You don't know that. You haven't been there. And there are these flights to go, go to the South Pole. He still thinks the Earth is flat, but he thinks the, the South Pole is the edge of the Earth and that you can go beyond it. And he has this kind of romantic notion of exploring, which is why his organization is called Exploring Again where I think he, he really, really likes the idea of going out and discovering things. And so he thinks that he will go to the South Pole and uh, get on his skis and the wind will blow him further south, which is further out from the middle of the disk. And he will explore what's there and report back. Uh, someone asked him, do you think there's a chance of you dying on this trip? And he says, yes, but I'm just doing what the creator uh, set me on the path of doing. Everyone seemed very much in favor of this. But the, the problem is that, you know, you go to the South Pole and you try to go south, of course, what's going to happen is every, every direction from the South Pole is actually north. So you're just going in a random direction in Antarctica. But I don't think he really had done kite skiing before. And he didn't look like the fittest guy in the world. You know, I don't want to bag on him, but just from a practical basis, he seems like he was kind of Overweight and unfit, and didn't really seem that familiar with the practicality of uh, kite surfing across the continent. And yet, he was a sponsor of this conference. And obviously, he'd kind of paid essentially to be there by sponsoring the conference. And he got up and gave his speech. And he said he'd never given a, a speech before. And, you know, you know he, give a reasonable job to someone who'd never given a speech before. He just kind of read from his notes. He was a very nice guy, but his, his scheme is entirely impractical, entirely implausible. And I think quite dangerous. Probably what would happen if he actually goes to the South pole is that the people there are going to recognize that he's not got a good plan and they're going to just stop him. It might become clearer to him as, as the time gets closer, what the problems with his plan are, but you know I'm hoping he doesn't actually try to to do it because it's not going to go well. A much more sensible option would be to charter a plane to fly to the South Pole and then fly south. You know, get someone who uh, uh, can fly a bit further. But of course, like I say, when you get to the South Pole, every direction is north, so you're just going to see more of Antarctica. But you'll see a lot more of it than you would from trying to have a kite pull you on skis. To the main event. Um, my debate with Nathan Thompson. The debate was just I sat at a table. Uh, what I thought was going to happen, we're going to have 15 minutes each. Uh, but what happened was they gave Nathan 15 minutes and then me 10 minutes. And I didn't realize this, but we'll get to that later. So coin toss at the start. Nathan won the coin toss and uh, elected to go first. And he basically just gave a, a long list of, of points of proof as to why the globe doesn't work and why the Earth is flat, much of which he did yesterday. And I made I made a list of it, and I marked off the ones that he said. I think about, ooh, about 10 of them were points that he'd made the previous day. And he didn't really address very many of my points that I'd made from the previous day. So i made a list of points that I'd made the previous day that I was going to bring up again, and see how he actually responded to them. So he gave his 15 minutes of talking, and uh, it went over to me, and so I just basically started out explaining why all of these points one at a time were wrong, and I I made a list of 20 points that he had made, things like uh, pilots not adjusting for the curve, Uh, We've got the thermosphere being too hot for satellites, uh, using a laser to measure the temperature of moonlight, uh, photos of the sun not looking very good, various documents that he had looked at that that seemed to say that the government thought the Earth was flat, Neil deGrasse Tyson saying that it's flat, the NASA saying that things were photoshopped, and basically I went through all of these things and I gave the actual explanation for them. Uh, I told him quite clearly that uh, one of his big pieces of evidence, these flickering images of stars that he was showing, were just his camera being out of focus, which lots of people have told him. And I kind of hammered this point because I knew it wasn't getting through to him. You know, your camera's out of focus. You've got to learn how to focus. It's shimmering because it's out of focus and hopefully he will actually learn at some point how to focus his camera and uh, take actual pictures of stars which look like points of light rather than these shimmering blobs which you think are some kind of, I don't know, ethereal beings. I went through the points I'd made that he didn't bring up and reiterated them and said you didn't bring them. But at this point, I thought I had five minutes left and then Mad Mike was telling me that my time was up so I just had to kind of rush through them really quickly. And then they gave Nathan... Ten minutes, and then after that, they gave me fifteen minutes. So it was all a little, little confusing uh, as uh, I didn't have things set right. But it actually went very, very well uh, from my perspective. Uh, we went back and forth a little bit. Well, I guess we just did those, those four, those four talks, and I kind of closed with the the point that they don't have an actual map of the flat Earth that works. They don't have a model, a scientific model of the flat Earth that works that actually can make predictions. And we do have a very good one with the globe Earth model that makes perfect predictions. Things like, you know, where, where is night and day on the globe Earth? makes perfect sense. It's just a globe cut in half by the sun's light. Whereas on the flat Earth, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And I talked about, uh, as closing, what I, I had a T-shirt on that had a famous experiment, a famous experiment by Alfred Russell Wallace from the 1800s. And it was an experiment where he had the entire line of sight was 15 feet above the water to get above refraction. So I stood up and I ripped off my jacket and I pointed up my t-shirt and I explained to them what the experiment was. And I said, rise up, rise above refraction. You've got to rise above refraction. Repeated this because I wanted to get the point across. And uh, that was kind of the end of my talk. Is, you know, you've know got to do experiments that rise above refraction. Use mountains. Use uh, observations that are above the water and not actually touching the water because water messes you up. And uh, there are lots of ex- explanations you can do. And I was going to go on about talking about yeah you know, various other things, but kind of ran out of time. And one of the things I wanted to talk about briefly uh, in my Presentation was just how friendly everybody was and how nice everybody was and how it was actually possible to have good communication with people and this is something I genuinely believe and I had a good time there. But anyway, the the wait I mentioned the prism thing again and I showed the prism thing. I told Nathan he was wrong with the prism and he just you know smiled and shook his head. Uh, but. Uh, uh, after, the, after it was over, there was a bunch of questions from the audience. And I think there was more questions for me than with Nathan because obviously I'm more of an exotic creature at a flat Earth conference because I'm, I'm not a flat Earther, whereas Nathan is. So they asked me questions like, "How do you explain various things? Like, you know, why after six months does the Earth still face the Sun at noon?" And I explained the difference between sidereal day and a solar day, which you can look up if you're interested. And you know, there's some other things like uh, I think Nathan Gonzalez asked me about why you can see so far over water with laser experiments, why I made certain changes to my curve calculator, uh, and then you know, I just explained everything. Somebody asked me uh, how I came to flat Earth. Yeah, it's a question for both of us. And I told them I came to flat Earth the way that a lot of they said, a lot of them said they did, which was I started out trying to debunk flat Earth. And unlike them, I did debunk Flat Earth. So they all have this origin story where I started out trying to debunk Flat Earth, and then I couldn't, and now I'm a Flat Earther. Whereas my origin story with regards to Flat Earth was I started out trying to debunk Flat Earth, and I did. And here are all the reasons why it's debunked. After the debate, I had a bunch of uh, very interesting conversations. Now there's one woman that I talked to quite extensively for maybe I don't know at least half an hour, and I don't, she didn't want her name to go out, so I'm going to call her Laura. Uh, and Laura it was fascinating, flat earther, uh, I think, friend of Nathan Gonzalez, or knows him. And they, she's done, you know, she's been part of these experiments where you shine lights across the water, and I was trying to explain to her why it doesn't work, and we talked about all kinds of topics. It was very interesting. I'm hoping to have Laura on my podcast at some point, uh, maybe even later today. And uh, it was very interesting talking to her because I was explaining things in what I thought were fairly straightforward ways from my point of view, like I was trying to explain why perspective can't actually hide the bottom of a mountain. And uh, she wasn't getting it, which again, you know, is obviously partly due to me not being able to explain things very well. Uh, it's also I think due to her thinking about things in a certain way, which isn't conducive to accepting these different explanations because she's been thinking about things in a certain way for so long. Like she thinks that she knows that perspective can hide the bottom of mountains because that's what perspective does, it makes things smaller and they vanish. So it's very interesting essentially getting her perspective on what I am saying. Like her not understanding things directly. It's very different talking to a person in person than it is talking to uh, them online. So that was fascinating. Uh, I talked to a few other people after that. I talked more with Nathan Gonzalez and he gave me some photographs of Catalina Island that he'd taken. And I actually, uh, after I got back, I did a little explainer video explaining how his photographs actually show that the bottom two thirds of Catalina Island is missing. And he was saying when he showed me these photos that you know you can see more than you should. But uh, it'd be interesting to see how he responds. He's not actually got back to me yet. And Nathan, I think, is someone I would like to also maybe have on my podcast because he's a fascinating character. He has a a YouTube channel called Bipolar Flat Earth, and he has some other uh, YouTube things going on. And he goes out and does his experiments, which is great. And I I explained to him in some detail how you need to get a rise of above refraction and that the center point of the line of sight also needs to be above the water. So you need to have something in the middle that's above the water. Or you need to look at things that are high, like mountains and things like that. Anyway, I gave him all these explanations of it, which was uh, was quite uh, fascinating trying to get that across and him disagreeing with me quite emphatically. He also disagreed with me on uh, my take on the the forest fires, the wildfires. Uh, But that's kind of another topic. If you can't convince people that the earth is round, then there's not that much point in talking to them about forest fires. Or maybe there is. I don't know. So what did I take away from the conference? I think ultimately the most interesting aspect for me was that the misunderstandings of things seem entirely genuine. Pretty much everyone I talked to seemed very honest and straightforward. Even Nathan Thompson, who people portray as being someone who lies and... uh, you know, misleads, he came across as being a nice guy who was being relatively honest with what he said. And I think in most cases, he genuinely did not understand the issues. I I was trying to explain to him why satellites don't burn up in the thermosphere if the thermosphere is 2000 degrees. And it's because the thermosphere is very, very, very thin. And so the the main heat factors are actually radiation, which is incoming radiation from the sun and outgoing radiation from the satellites. The thermosphere has pretty much nothing to do with it. And he didn't understand it. He did not get the, this distinction between uh, heat from conduction from the, from the gases of the thermosphere and heat from radiation and radiation, outgoing radiation. He was thinking things only cool down via the air touching them. Of course, if you put something in a vacuum, it will still it will still cool down via radiation. And uh, if you put something in the sun, it will eventually reach a thermal equilibrium. It won't actually get hotter and hotter and hotter. It'll get to a point at which the heat is radiating away from it at a certain rate. Uh, on Earth, it's conducting as well. Anyway, getting into the, the weeds there, but the point is that these misunderstandings that they had are genuine. When people are saying things like, why can't we see photos of upside down buildings? It sounds like they're trolling. But it seems to me like the guy really didn't understand why we don't have photos of upside down buildings. He didn't get the spatial relationships of things and how it relates to gravity being pointing down. And when I talked to Laura about perspective, she didn't really understand why there's a difference between the perspective of the surface of something like the ocean surface and the perspective of something that's vertical, like a mountain or a building. And I was taking photos and trying to demonstrate this to her, but she genuinely wasn't getting it. And uh, Nathan, I think also wasn't getting why his explanations for the missing bottom part of a mountain really didn't make any sense, especially in the context of him saying uh, that he made these accurate observations across water which were only a few feet with the issue. And yet there are thousands of feet in these mountain issues. And everyone, for the large part, seemed quite nice and very polite and very friendly. I was actually, I had a good time. We were joking with people. Brother Ernest was a lot of fun. He gave me this free T-shirt. And uh, I handed out a bunch of copies of my book. Uh, I usually sell my book at conferences, but it didn't seem like the right type of thing to you know be seen making a profit. Not that I do make a profit <laughs> from these books uh, with the cost of actually taking them there. But I, I just gave away a bunch of copies of my book. Uh, I gave one to Waldo, the rocket scientist guy, and he emailed me later and asked if I was a member of the CIA because uh, he thought it was very suspicious that I was debunking chemtrails and nine eleven, Which is an unfortunate thing in that you know, I, I debunk Flat Earth, but I also debunk 9-11, I also debunk chemtrails, I debunk all kinds of conspiracy theories, and they think these conspiracy theories are way more reasonable than their, are way more plausible than, the, than the, the Flat Earth conspiracy theory. So it, uh, I think it kind of ruins me a little bit in their eyes. They see me as someone who debunks everything, and uh, they don't listen to what I say about Flat Earth. But I came away, I think, with some hope for the future. I think it does demonstrate that you can communicate with people who have very alternative viewpoints. We all have common things. If you just, yeah, you know, if you even just start with something like you know, we both like beer, <laughs> you can start out with a common thing, and you can talk about that. And you can talk about things like if you take a photograph of something, you see a certain viewpoint. This is something we agree upon, and then we figure out what we disagree about. And then we try to figure out why we disagree, and then you figure out these other things that we can do to resolve this difference. And I think with say with Nathan Gonzalez, I gave him an experiment to do the the, the Wallace experiment, which sh- should resolve the fact that he's seeing these 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 lines of sight, these lasers, close to the water because of refraction. If you if you rise up above refraction, you see a different thing. Nathan Thompson uh, actually on Facebook told me that the prism thing, the green flash thing, had given him something to think about. And he was doing some experiments to try to figure it out. And so he actually, I think, recognized that what he was claiming was actually wrong. Now, I anticipate he will probably come up with an explanation for what he is seeing that fits the flat Earth model. But he was previously giving this proof of the flat Earth from green flashes. I showed him he was doing it upside down, now he has to revise his worldview one way or another. He's obviously not going to go drop the flat Earth thing, but he can't use that anymore. I showed him some other thing as well, some table he was using which he said proves the flat Earth, actually describes the curve of the Earth plus refraction. So that's another thing that uh, I kind of repeated to him to explain to him that it's it's wrong and maybe he's going to have to revise his worldview on that a little bit so it's kind of baby steps but the key is having effective communication with people if i wasn't actually there talking to nathan about the green flash i think he would just have ignored everything that i posted online about it but i actually went there i gave him a a prism one that i actually ground down one edge and spray painted it black to make it easier to use so i put in quite a bit of effort and he appreciated that and he appreciated me talking to him and being polite and we had good conversations he was adamant that i was wrong and i was you know yeah adamant that he he was wrong was making mistakes but we had conversations and i think because of that ultimately some progress was made uh i think it perhaps gives some insight into other conspiracy theories in that the flat earth people had these genuine misunderstandings of things and i think With things like chemtrails and 9-11, people also have these genuine misunderstandings of the physics that are involved and the science that's involved. And they they don't realize this. And it's hard to communicate. And you can't just say, oh, no, that's wrong. You have to kind of get past this misunderstanding. You have to resolve this misunderstanding and you create an actual genuine understanding of what's going on. And uh, so ultimately, I think a message of hope from the Flat Earth Conference, we can talk to each other, and we should talk to each other, and I'm going to continue to talk to people. Follow-ups are, I have uh, done my my video with Nathan uh, Gonzalez's footage, and I'm waiting to hear back from him on that. I'm going to try to talk to Laura, trying to schedule a podcast with her, and the debate itself, this is a strange thing, the debate was recorded, but since... Since that happened, since the actual debate happened over the weekend, I've heard nothing at all about it. No indication no one's talking about having watched it. And uh, IPS, who I think is in charge of the recordings, hasn't mentioned it and has just moved on to talking about uh, you know, false events, like there was a guy who set himself on fire outside the White House and he's discussing if that's uh, real or fake. And he's not talking about the Flat Earth Conference. It's almost like they want it to go away. So I'd really like to see the video of my debate out there. Uh, I'm not sure why it's not out there yet. Perhaps it will be out later. there later. There were other people filming there for documentaries, but they're only going to put out por- uh, parts of the debate. So I'd really like to see the full footage of the debate, and I'm not sure why it hasn't come out yet. Uh, hopefully it will come out in the future. I didn't record anything myself. Uh, again, because I didn't want you know, people to think they were under the some kind of surveillance or something like that. So I just took notes, and uh, hopefully this one hour of my recounting that is a good, uh, a good sense of what happened. But really, it would be great to see the footage of the debate so that people can judge for themselves whether my account is accurate and uh, whether the Earth is uh, flat or not. <laughs> Okay, uh, I will keep everyone updated. Check the show notes for names and whatnot. And that's Tales from the Rabbit Hole.